All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. Gunner Kennels, baby. Hashtag man's best kennel. Well, it's also now hashtag man's best food crate. It's freaking raccoon proof. You can't get into this thing. Your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food. Trust me. I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom. But not anymore. We've got the Gunner Kennel food crate. It's easy to pack. Easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore, so keep it dry, good, all that stuff. Easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate, slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course, bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. What's going on, everybody? This is episode 45 of Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles. Want to give a big old shout out to the Yukonuba, baby. Yukonuba Sporting Dog, the 3020 blend, the adult blend, and the puppy blend. We got it all mixed up here at our kennel. Every dog is a little different, and every dog enjoys Yukonuba. Um, so find the right blend for you and your dog. You'll be happy, just like we are. Next up is Gunner Kennels, the kennels that keep old Quinny, and by old I mean young Quinny, safe while she's riding down the road in my truck. Um, absolutely durable, absolutely safe, the best kennel on the market. Man's best kennel, baby. And then Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They're the host of our podcast, and they help us stay in touch with you you do our analytics, all the good stuff. They also have a ton of other influencers and podcasts on their website. And so if you'd like to learn more about them and all the other podcasts that are under their group, Waypoint Outdoor Collective, baby. And now up, Dennis Vish. Dropping D's on this Vish with Duck Blind Coffee Co. Dennis, dude, thank you so much for being on our show Happy to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, guys. How's it going? Denny Vish from the Duck Blind Coffee Company. And uh, basically uh, a pretty new company, actually. December 1st will be our first year in business. And that's it, it's been an amazing ride so far. Um, I've been obsessed with coffee for about you know six years, and I've been roasting it. And one thing led to another. I love the outdoors. Grew up on a farm. Started, you know, always had a cup of coffee in my hand. I was like five years old and I had my first cup and with my dad, you know, and it was just one thing led to another and duck blind coffee was born and, uh, we haven't looked back since it's been a great, pretty, pretty awesome, uh, experience. 
definitely more than I expected. That's really cool. So almost one year. Yeah, December 1st, my man. Um, Will be our first year in business. Congratulations! Yeah, it's it's exciting. We're we're pretty excited about it. It's a huge milestone. Yeah, every day's an adventure here, man. Uh, Like we didn't know. I mean, we had a little bit of an idea of what the market was, but we didn't expect the outpouring what we received. So it's been it's been pretty pretty awesome. Good for you. Well, if you're marketing to anybody who needs coffee, it's the duck hunter who is freezing their tail off. You know, trying to stay awake, trying to stay awake <laughs> and stay warm during the grind of the season. I know yeah. I've hammered down the coffee, even when I'm not duck hunting. But you know, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, dude. I want to talk coffee, dude. Okay. I want to learn more about your company. I want to learn about coffee. I want to learn about your hunting and all the good stuff. Yeah. No, but, that's that's what I'm here for. That's I, what I, that sounds great. My coffee drinking is like my beer drinking. I got you. So I'll drink Bush Light, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I'll drink Folgers. I'll drink store brand five ninety nine for you know a ten pound ground up bin. But then I also love like a, a nice coffee from a coffee shop who roasts her own and grinds it fresh. Um, tell me the difference. What's the difference? Well, so whenever you when you start getting into the companies like Folgers and stuff like that, they're so mass produced, and it's all about the bottom dollar, the bottom line. Um, you know, pretty much how uh, that's what it comes down to. And it's they're cheaper beans. Um, there, it's not as there's not as much as tension to detail. Um, there, there's a lot that goes into those companies. I mean, don't get me wrong, but when you come to a local coffee shop that a guy has a roaster sitting there and he's roasted coffee the day before and you try to pick up a cup and drink out of it, it's like, it's a completely different experience than what you make at home. Um, it's, it's the freshness. It's, it's the atmosphere. It's, it's everything. Uh, it all r- rolls into one little cup and, uh, and it's, me- it's memorable. And that's the best thing about it is, is that, you know, drinking coffee is memorable. And that's, <laughs> that's one of the things that got me pretty much started on that was, uh, was like, I was, I grew up on a farm, like I was saying, and uh, we drank chock full of nuts. That's what my grandfather had. I still drink it. You know, I still buy a can of it every once in a while. I mean, I, that I have a roastery in my garage, you know, like it's like it's, it's crazy. <laughs> but it's, I still buy a can of it, you know, and, um, you know, and we I was growing up and I watched guys some shoot some geese got me into the waterfowl thing. And my me and my dad had, a you know, my first cup of coffee was with my dad in the duck blind. So that's kind of where we got the name from was duck blind coffee. And I was, you know, I was a little sitting on a, in a blind with him and watching him shoot ducks. And he's like, here, drink some coffee, you know. And I remember that, you know, and it was, it, and it was, it's always stuck with me, you know. And like we said, we were saying with like the memories and like walking into a coffee shop and the smells and everything like that. Like it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great experience. So, I mean, you could get that at home, but you know, if you buy the cheaper stuff, the cheaper coffee from the bigger guys, then it's just, it, there's not as much attention to detail as that guy that's standing behind the counter that's putting everything he has into it. Absolutely. And, uh. Yeah, and that, and that's really that's really what's really hurting the, the the industry right now for the bigger guys is because all these little po- coffee shops are popping up, and you walk in and every single one of them you have a different cup of coffee, and that's what's so unique about it, you know. And I I tell people it's like the analogy is like cooking steak, you know, like we, you know, Bob, you cook a steak, and you know, Kevin, and you can too, so can I, but we sit down and we all taste it, and it's all going to taste different. You know, and that's just that's basically how coffee is because you know your time, your temperatures, everything is 
all calculated to get to that cup of coffee that fits your palate that you like. And, um, you know, that's, that's what's so unique about it. It's really fun. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Very cool. I remember my first cup of coffee. Same. My grandma, June, I was probably similar age, you know, young. And she made me a cup of coffee, and it was so sugared and milked up <laughs> that it was like candy coffee. And I loved it. And so forever, that's how I drank coffee. And then in college, I switched to just drinking it black. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you drink your coffee? So, so I, I I drink it every way possible. I mean, I, I, I sugar, not sugar, black. Um, I drink it with a little bit of cream in the morning. That's pretty much my go to cup every day. We you know that's I, I do a pour over method, which is what I found makes the probably the best cup of coffee that you can do at home. Um, it's just it's I don't know, have you ever heard of it? Oh yeah, yeah. But describe the, it to people who may not have. Oh, so basically it looks the, you know, I tell people, you know, you don't have to spend a ton of money on them. You know, you can go to Walmart and get a tea kettle with a long spout on it and a, and a pour over coffee, you know, maker. You could probably spend under 30 bucks and have the best coffee you'll ever drink. You know, I mean, you don't have to spend $150, $200 on a coffee machine. Like you can do that. I mean, as long as you want to put a little bit of time into it, it, it'll change your coffee drinking experience. But basically all it is, it's a, it's a, um, it looks like a vase, like a like a like a flowered vase, and there's a funnel on the top of the vase. It's glass, and there's a little basket that sits in there, and you can put your uh, coffee filter, or you can use it unfiltered if you want to get more oils out of it. Um, but, and then you just you boil your water, you get it to a little bit below boiling temperature, and just you slowly pour the water over the grinds, and it drips down to the end of the bottom of the vase, and you got yourself a cup of coffee that's amazing. Now, I got a whole bunch of questions for you here, and then I want to tell my my coffee story because I think it's funny. But uh, are you a finely ground guy or a rough ground? Um, I kind of hit the middle, and and it depends, again, it depends on how you're making it. Um, My everyday is a medium grind um, just because it works the best in the pour-over. If you do a percolator, you know, they will call the cowboy coffee, which is actually making a pretty big comeback. And it makes it's good coffee too when you cook it that way, or you mean you brew it that way. But um, it, that's a finer grind. You can put in that, and it works good. And then you know, there's the French the French press that everybody asks about, and, and that works better when it's coarse. If you can get a coarser grinded coffee, it, it, it extracts the flavors better that way in that method. So interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. There's 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 a lot of stuff that goes into it, and. Um, to get the, the perfect cup of coffee, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I I definitely hear you on that. I uh, I also drink my coffee black. The first cup of coffee I ever had was uh, at my parents' kitchen table with my grandfather, who was a colonel in the Marine Corps. So he was a tough and gruff kind of guy, and uh, he he sat down and offered me a cup of coffee. And like my parents, I put a bunch of milk and sugar in it and whatever. And he looked at me disgusted and told me <laughs> that. Marines don't get that sort of thing out in the field, and that if I wanted to be a man, you drink it black. And I was like 13, so I was like, oh my god, like uh, I guess that's what I have to do now. So I started drinking it black, and that's all I all I do now is just I'll take a large black coffee, please. It'll put hair on your ass. Yeah, exactly. That's, right. that's how Grandpa yeah. talked about it. <laughs> can you awesome. can you imagine that? It, it, it did happen. Yeah, he got hair on his butt. Pretty yeah. True. That's a- that's awesome yeah that's so good so uh another side note coffee situation i guess um i went to costa rica 
last winter for a nice. vacation, and we went to this coffee roaster, and he did like a almost like a brew tour. He did a coffee okay. tour, so showed us coffee plants that were young, and then he transplants them to his farm, and there's different elevations. Mm-hmm. And, like, at 5,000 feet, the coffee grows this way. At 2,000 feet, the coffee grows this way. If you're at sea level, it grows this way, and you get different flavors from different elevations. And, um, I mean, again, way over my head. I just like drinking it. But I do, you know, it's again, it's kind of like being a beer snob. I enjoy a good IPA, but then I'll drink a Bush Light. I enjoy a phenomenal cup of coffee, but I enjoy a Folgers, you know, in my cup. So... Mm -hmm. Um, but long story short, he kind of gave us the same rundown of like finely coarse French press, pour over. Um, so you're roasting it, but you have to source it from somewhere. Where are you sourcing your coffee? So, um, I have farms in Colombia, Brazil, and Indonesia. Those are the three places that I'm getting them from right now. Really? So do you just kind of mix them up? And then roast them all together. Yeah, yeah. Ba- basically, so there, I have a guy up in out right outside of Erie, PA, that has a warehouse that does the importing and stuff like that. And uh, that's where that's where he does does all the the legwork for me getting it over there, just because I'm so just starting out right now. Yeah, and uh, and I go up there and pick it up from him, and, and it's been working so far perfectly for a year, so I have no complaints whatsoever. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Is this what you do full time now? No, no, sir, not at all. Um, I am actually I'm a trauma nurse by trade. Um, I work. I used to work in downtown Pittsburgh for. I ran traumas down there for almost ten years, and uh, in the level one trauma facility out in Presby. And um, I, when I was in the process of launching this, it was just it was just too much. The travel time from my home to Pittsburgh is about an hour and thirty five, an hour and forty minutes, depending on traffic, and it was, it was just too too much. And um, I actually went to work at a local emergency department. So I'm down at the Swickley Hospital now in their ER. And I kind of stepped away from the trauma stuff. It was just it was just a lot, you know, like mentally. I mean, I've, I've seen some really, really, some really messed up things. And, uh, you know, 10 years of my life and I, I, the coffee was is the out. But I have three kids, so I, I got to have benefits. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. It's a badass absolutely. job, though. Yeah, yeah, it was it, it was it's it's an amazing career, and I and I and I'll probably even if I do be able to do this full time, when I be able to do this full time, um, I'll still I'll still probably you know one day a week or one you know two days a month or whatever go down and work because I, I I just I enjoy that you know I, I've always have been like enjoyed helping people, and it just that that career enables me to do it you know yeah it's really for sure. So when you get your coffee beans from this importer. Mm-hmm. Walk me through the process of picking up the bags to going in your cup. All right. So, um, well, I you know, make the drive. The, they, it comes in a hundred, about 150 pound sacks is what they come in, and they look like they look like the old uh, they look like potato to potato sacks. You know, um, you know they're sewed up. They come directly from the ship from the shipping crate to the back of my of my car or the back of my uh, SUV, and uh, come home. Unload them into the roastery, and we have. Uh, I can. I have a roaster that does. I can do about 150 pounds a day, as of right now. And they're green. They're fermented. Um, the green coffee can actually be if you store it in a controlled environment. You can actually store it for up to three years. Um, it's 
it's it's a fermented bean it doesn't nothing eats it here in the united states um there's you know i mean if you don't keep it at a controlled temperature it can grow mold um but that's uh, you know a year advance and it's never around long enough to to collect that so throw it in the roaster um i have the times the temperatures the air flows all written down it took me about well, the first leg blend that we offer took me two years to get the recipe right that I took something that I could that I'd want to sell to everybody and uh, our night flight took me about eight months to get the recipes down so I have those all written down the time the temperatures all programmed in the machine and uh, dump them in and about you know anything less than 12 minutes you have you know a batch of coffee um, from there, you know, coffee, you can't just grind it directly. It doesn't get a great flavor as soon as it comes out of the roaster. You have to actually let it sit so all the chemical reactions inside the bean can finish taking place. And um, if you'd, if I'd pull the, co- the coffee that I just made this afternoon, if I would give it to you in a bag right now and like, you smell it, you wouldn't even know it was coffee. There's a very faint aroma of coffee in it. It doesn't really get its full, that full aroma and flavor profile developed to go over about 24 hours, 48 hours, they say. And then that's when you can grind it, and uh, that's when you have the best and the best drinking opportunity for that is they say three weeks after you grind it, and then that's the freshest coffee you'll get. And then after that, it gets just gets stale. That's really cool. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating, you know. Um, and I, you know, when you're when you're actually when you're roasting it, have you, you said you've been into roasteries? I don't know if you've ever been around the smell of it. It actually smells like burning grass. Like I wasn't the, in the roast roastery, but. But yeah, no, I, so I didn't smell that, but yeah, that's pretty neat, man. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a fat, it's like the whole fat, the whole process is very fascinating. Um, especially for you, you said you're, you're a beer drinker, you like that stuff. And like, I'm sure you know the process of making beer and everything and how much time and effort goes into keeping things like spotless so that you can get a, 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 a brew that you like, you know? Right. Is yeah, that that's the, the same thing. thing for coffee? You have to keep it's, things mint so that the flavor stays the same? Same thing. Um, the the, pro, the roasting profile has to be the same. The moisture content of the beans has to be the same. Like you know, there 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 is definitely consistency has to be priority. Or you you like you know, the flavor profile changes and you're not drinking the same cup of coffee you drank you know three months ago when you bought it from me. No you know, way. Like it has to be consistent. Yeah. Well, my hats off to you because I've done small amounts of brewing and like for beer and stuff like that, and it is awful. <laughs> I am so bad at keeping everything. I don't think like, he's ever alive. made a good beer. <laughs> no, they all sucked. Let's be real. Overcarbonated. They weren't, they weren't great. Zero alcohol. Some of them. Some of them. Yeah. But it's just <laughs> yeah, it was not cool. But some of them like it's it's just hard and time consuming, and you have to be meticulous. And man, I, I don't know if, if that's what it goes into making coffee. It's and a real craft, yeah. Right? Then that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. That's and cool. like, and what you know, the best part is the you know the day and age we live in now, with the computers and stuff. Like, you can save all that stuff and tell a machine what to do, and it'll do it repeatedly. And that that takes a lot of the stress work out of it because you know back in the day when Folgers and everybody was getting started, they didn't have any of that. Yeah. So it, it took a guy to sit there and go, okay, this is what it is. This is the recipe. We we're going to do this. And, and it took him to, to keep that, to maintain that recipe throughout the, you know, the generations that they've had that company. That's it. That it's mind boggling. You know, I mean, it really is because of the process took and, and then the computers cook over. And like, now that really helps out a lot because like, I don't have to worry about 
airflow or when I have to turn heat on, when I have to take it off. You know, like it's 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 you there. It's in the computer. It, yeah. Like they've already put the legwork in. It's saved. I have it. You know, that's cool. What made you decide to become a roaster? I mean, you kind of gave us a little background of why you called it duck pine coffee, but and like yeah. obviously your love of hunting and stuff, and we'll get into that in a second. But what made you decide like this is my hobby? I'm going to do this and start a company. You know, um, I, you know I, I grew up in a, a business uh, business guy around. My family owned bars, and my dad has a pizza shop, and my aunt had a restaurant, and you know I was always around business. And I always wanted to own my own. I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always had ideas. And I've never really done anything with them because what happened is, is my dad was like, you know what, but you need to go to school and get something you can fall back on in case something happens. You'll always have a career. I said, All right. You know, because I was going to take the pizza shop over from him and go from there. And so I went to nursing school, became a nurse. And, you know, you always have something in the medical field. I always have to be able to get a paycheck. You know, that was it was a comfort zone. So I got into a comfort zone. Yeah. And, I, you know, and me and my wife have been married for seven years now. And... We actually got a coffee maker given to us for a wedding present, and it's called an AeroPress. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's one of the. It is my. It is absolutely what completely changed my entire outlook on coffee, because I was drinking chocolate nuts every day of my life, and Mister Coffee Maker, you know, that's what it was, and, that, and it didn't change, you know. And I decided to try it one morning. I was getting ready to go to work, and it's four thirty in the morning. And I'm looking at the stupid thing, and I'm going, how does this make coffee, you know? It doesn't look like it. I mean, it's a plastic tube. There's nothing, you know, I'm like, what? So I follow the directions. I make a cup of coffee. I didn't even drink it. I just ran out of the house. It was late. And then I'm driving into Pittsburgh, and I'm taking a sip of this. I was like, oh, my God, what happened? Like, this is amazing. And it's the same cup of coffee that I had every day of my life, you know? I mean, I went through nursing school. I was drinking cans of it, you know? I mean, like, and that just a simple change in method. And got my wheels spinning. And you know, I, I was texting my wife. And I was like, babe, I was like, you got to try. Like, I'm coming home making coffee. Like, you got to try this. If you're not going to believe the maker. And she's like, okay, whatever. You know, like, it wasn't even on our radar. You know? And she's like, taste it. And she's like, holy cow, really? And I was like, yeah, I know, right? So then I, you know, I started thinking about businesses. And I'm going, well, how do I, how can I incorporate this? And, and, and you know, and like, I, so I start researching it. And importing exporting and green beans and roasters and how it's ground and where it comes from and origins and and like before i knew it man i'm i'm, I'm three months into this and my, my my mind's going a million miles an hour i'm going i got i gotta start writing stuff down like i'm gonna do this cool so then i actually built an entire coffee company related to hospitals i have i have the entire thing built and it's all written down everything's ready to go i could launch that tomorrow if i wanted to and i'm sitting there thinking i'm going I really want to get away from the hospital scenario. Like I, you know, I just don't, I'm not feeling it. So I, you know, my dad always taught me if you figure out something that you love doing with something that you're passionate about, and if you can make a career out of that, you'll never have a boring day in your life. Like you'll always be successful. And I'm like, man, you know, like I've been shooting ducks since I was little and I love the waterfowl game. Like that was just what, what attracted me to the, to the outdoors in general was watching the guy kill some geese out of my grandfather's farm. And I'm like, what's this idiot doing with these silhouette plastic things with a sled covered in a white sheet? Like, it did, they, you know, I'm like watching this, like we, we were all deer hunters. And I was hooked, man. You know, I watched that and I was like, man, I watched the birds cup and the guys, you know, 
sounded like like a like a car horn on a goose call, and these birds are eating it up, and he's having a ball. And I was like, man, watching this guy do this, and I'm like, perfect, got me hooked on that. I was like, you know what? That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna combine coffee and and waterfowl hunting. And I started looking to see if there was companies out there already, and there wasn't. And I was like, well, there it is. And um, I sat on it for a while, and I liked the idea. I was really excited about it. And I got something, you know, I just decided to sit down one night, and I, in about six, maybe six hours or so, I had the entire business built from start to finish, written down business plans, where to get beans, what to do. I didn't have a recipe. <laughs> yep. So that's when it was like, all right, it's time to do this. Got a, got a little home roaster, started messing with home roasters, and and before I knew it, um, I had I had some things down. I was selling coffee to people in the hospital at work down in Pittsburgh. And I, I was known all over the hospital as the coffee guy. <laughs> They're like, there's the coffee guy. He's bringing coffee. And, you know, and people were like, man, this is good stuff. And me and my wife were sitting there looking at each other like, you know, you, this is a, this is a good opportunity. Let's, 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 let's pursue this like real, for real now. I'm like, all right. So again, you know, I'm in that comfort zone. I'm not doing anything with it. I'm just trying to get a recipe down, something that I like, something that I'm going to sell and I'm in that comfort zone. And then we went on vacation that we were sitting on a beach in Myrtle, and um, I was just mentally burnt out, man. Um, you know, I've come from a lot of really bad things that have happened at work the last, you know, the last couple months, and I was just like, I, I'm just burnt out mentally. And she looked at me, and she was looking at the pitch, and she's like, when are you doing this coffee thing? I was like, you know what, we're doing it. And as soon as we came home, we we, we broke ground on everything and uh, started running water lines, building walls, and and, you know, we had the machines and it was just a matter of just getting everything inspected. And then by November last year, we were ready to go. And the Department of Agriculture called me and was like, hey, we're going to come out and inspect. I said, all right, come on. And he came in, did a walkthrough. Everything was fine. Gave me the blessing. And uh, me and my dad are going to deer, we're going to deer up to deer camp. And uh, he was like, I told him, I was like, hey, we passed. Passed the inspection. He goes, what are you waiting for, man? He's like, you got to launch this. And I was like soon as i get home and the, the day we came home hit the button on the on the website made it live and we haven't looked back brother good for you yeah good for you that's i love hearing stories like that because you know it reminds me of how i started and leap of faith and chasing a dream and you know the people you meet along the way and the stories you hear and just everything about what you just said brought back memories of of me starting and I always I don't know when I'll ever think that I've like actually started a business I feel like I'm still starting a business I don't know you know it just always feels like you're learning and growing and changing and evolving and wanting more and and then you're growing and evolving and changing and wanting more and so it's really neat to hear that story so thank you for sharing it yeah yeah definitely and uh like I said you know if anybody wants to take anything away from that like, you know, like I said, I was always in that comfort zone. I always, like, was comfortable with it. I had dreams. But, you know, like, everybody tells you to dream big, but nobody ever says to do it, you know? And, like, that's the thing. Like, I mean, there's a, you talk to people every day that have dreams about it, and they actually never take that step, you it's, know? And, and, and it's the scariest step you'll ever take, my friend. But you know what? It, if you fail, you fail. And it's, you know, it's, it's something that's off the back of your head. But, you know, I didn't try, you know? Right. I can encourage people, if you guys have any things like that that you're even thinking about doing, just go for it. You know, I mean, you have to, because, you know, like being a trauma nurse, life can change in a second, man. And, you know, 
nobody's ever said to me, I wish I would have made more money. Like they always said, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would spend more time with my family. Like it was never about money at the end. You know, it was always like I should have played in that game or I should have, you know, went out and tried to play football. I should have, you know, it was always something that I should have did. And it was always a regret. Right. And you just don't want to live your life like that. You know? Yeah. I think our society I think there's different people, right? There's leaders, there's followers, there's there's all different sorts of people, and everybody is happy doing what makes them happy. And I think if it makes them happy, then good and go with it. But if they aren't happy, they should figure out why and how to put themselves in a position to try something. All you exactly. got to do is try. What, like you said, you have a if you quit your job now and rolled with this full time. And in a year or two, you're like, you know what? That was fun. We did it. We made money. But I'm, I am I miss being a, a trauma nurse. Boom. You can go and get a job. Like, for people who work hard and are good people and do the right thing and integrity, you can always fall back. Like, if I wanted to go and be a salesman again, I could probably find a job in a month to make enough money to survive and be a salesman. But I don't want to be a salesman. I want to be a dog trainer, and I want to grow this podcast, and I want to travel the country hunting and training dogs. And so yep. I chased that dream, and I haven't had to be a salesman again. Um, so I think that's sound advice, man. It's it's something that a lot of a lot of people probably need to hear because society tells us take the easy way or take the comfortable way, and it's. The uncomfortable way is what's going to make memories. I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely, actually, spot on. Now, tell us, I want to hear about, you, you've referenced it two or three times now, but sharing the blind with your dad, goose hunting. Tell us about that hunt. Tell us a, a little bit about your hunting experience. What do you, you know, what do you like to hunt? What is your favorite waterfowl? All that stuff. Give us a little bit of that background, oh, bud. For sure. Um, so I was, uh, I was probably eight or so sitting in, uh, and my, man, my dad was, uh, they liked to hunt pheasants and grouse and we, we I grew up with, uh, German short hairs and my cousin Jimmy was like, Hey, we got to go shoot ducks. You know, like everybody's talking about shooting ducks. We got to go shoot ducks. And I'm like, all right. So they were Shenango reservoir. My dad, he's a big fisherman. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's, it's about north of us, probably about an hour and a half, maybe an hour. Yeah, about an hour and a half. And, he, uh, and I was, like I said, outdoor. I was all into the hunting stuff. I was collecting turkey calls at that age. I was, you know, out looking for deer. It's like, we're going to go duck hunting. I was like, all right, sounds like a plan. You know, like, I can't even shoot a gun, but I'm going, you know. So um, they had made, they actually, when they went fishing on the Sunday before, they actually made a, a blind right on this, like, there's a of like a river and I could still see it in my head like I could still see the morning I could still see the first wood duck I watched my dad shoot in front of me you know like I could still see all that it's really cool um, but he had they had flipped the log over and made a blind on this like rock point that came out into the middle of the river and it, the river kind of wrapped around it and you know, daybreak you know we're sitting there and the cousins and like you know, they have fishing rods and they have their guns and, and I, you know I'm, I'm, I'm excited you know and he handed me a cup of coffee. We're drinking a cup of coffee, and we're watching the sun come up. And uh, they started started shooting ducks, man. And it was great, you know. Like, you know, somewhere they had a couple of decoys that were sitting out, and none of the birds were decoy. They were just all past shooting. But you know, it was it was great, you know. And it was one of those things where it was like, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do. 
and you know watching the guy shoot the geese and then watching these guys shoot ducks and you know the memories and everything like that was just one of those things was like that's what i'm going to do the rest of my life like i absolutely love that and um so I, if I was going to hunt anything, I would still field hunt geese right now. Absolutely one of my favorite things to do. Um, love watching them come in. Love the, you know those big birds on the ground, man. Uh, giant Canadians are I, one of my favorite things to hunt. That's and, so cool. um, Yeah, yeah, they are hands down. And, you know, they, they taste pretty good in jerky, too. So that's, that helps out a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. I actually just brought four goose breaths over to Kevin's house, and we're going to do a, a few new recipes with them. That meat eater uh, cookbook, they've got goose pastrami, so I want to try that. Mm, that sounds yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> we do it all. Do you have a special recipe for your jerky? You know what? Um, so there's a little smokehouse by by us out in Zillianople. It's called Britner's, and uh, it's actually a smoke shop and radiator shop. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kid you not, man. I absolutely. But you gotta he, love he, Pennsylvania, brother. I know, right? He makes some of the best smoked meats you'll ever eat in your entire life, and he has a he have a seasoning, have a rub, and and that's what I throw on him, man. Like it's it's absolutely out of this world, and it's funny, like you said, smokehouse and meat and radiator shop. Like you just you don't see that anywhere he just else. Just heats it with the radiators, place. smoke them over yeah, that. It's great. So it's so great. But he did a lot of deer processing. That's how we found the guy. I, we would shoot deer. We'd take him up to him, and he'd make deer sticks and sausages and stuff out of it. And, like, you have to get, like, for your Easter ham, it's like a like a two-year waiting period to get on. Like, that's how good they are. That's fantastic. So, yeah. Brines them in radiator fluid. Oh, yeah. Who knows? I have no idea. But I know one thing. You'll eat your fingers right off. They're that good. So. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. we got to make more jerky this year. Speaking of dry rub, have you ever thought about doing a coffee ground seasoned dry rub? <laughs> it's already in the works, my man. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. So um, it was funny because I actually, I, when I started working at the, the new hospital I started at, I don't know, I, I, somebody from social media found me uh, working there. I was like, dude, you got to, you got to, you know, we got to do this. You got to do this. And he's, uh, he, that's, he, smokes meats that's what he does he loves the dry rub stuff so i flipped him a bag of coffee and he's like he's like give me give me a week and i'll get in and he was like all right so i have a big jar of uh, duck blind coffee rub downstairs that i've been putting on my eggs and everything man and it, it turns out it's really good so good for you we're, we're in the process of trying to figure that out right now so that's funny that you brought that up but yes it does actually make a great rub anything you mix with coffee it is it, it seems to work so absolutely that's so cool. So now, uh, I want to, I mean, obviously we're a dog hunting, yeah. you know, dog training. This is what we revolve around. Do you have a dog? Yes, I, yes, I do. Um, tell us so about that I, dog. So I have, I have a golden, um, we, my wife was in love with golden retrievers and I wanted a lab or a Chesapeake. That's what I wanted, but we ended up, you know, got a golden retriever and, um, one of the greatest dogs I've ever owned in my life and um, just listens so well. Um, I, I just absolutely amazed like from, from retrieving in the backyard, working with him to just, what are you doing? Look at you, stop, come sit down by you, you know, like just, just a great, great personality, great dog. And that was actually one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about was um, being gunshot because uh, he wasn't. And I, think something happened last year deer season because we live in the middle of a farm i think somebody must have taken a shot at him or something and we were in the spring we me and my oldest son were out and we were uh, 
you know, basically pat, we were patterning the shotgun for him to go out for turkeys. And our dog, it's gone. And this is the first time I ever rec- like really recognized that he was gunshot. He ended up five miles away in, an, in, in a person's garage at like two o'clock in the morning. And we were looking for him, man. I covered, I don't know how many miles I walked that night. And it's raining. I'm yelling for him. Nothing. I couldn't find a dog anywhere. And I said, I have no idea. So we got him back, and I was like, "Like, why did you like? You've never done this before. Like, where did you like? What happened?" And um, neighbor was out. And he had a new pistol. Was shooting it, and that dog almost broke the door down in the house trying to get in. And I was like, "What in the world? Never before ever had that problem with." Him. And now, man, if I grab a shotgun out of the corner, he's running a high. So, so all right. I mean, this this is cool. Different turn turn of events than I uh, expected. Um. So give me give me a breakdown real quick. This dog, golden retriever, family dog. Had you yeah. trained him for hunting and taken him hunting, or not yet? He was at this point. He was a year old. I was working with him with like retrieving more than actually had taken him out to the field. Okay, so he hadn't been shot over at that point. No. Okay. All right. Now here's my advice. This is my advice okay. to you, and this is my advice to everybody. I had a dog. Uh, actually, I just went pheasant hunting with it Saturday morning, I think. Saturday morning. Saturday or Sunday. She was, quote, unquote, gun shy. And she came to me at five or six years old. He, he never was able to hunt her. And I took a look at her. She was a German short-haired pointer, and he wanted her to pheasant hunt. He belongs to a pheasant club and, and just... You know, I own a short hair. Why can't I hunt her? But she's afraid. So I took her. I built her drive. Zero gunfire. I I brought out that instinct. And then carefully introduced low gauge shot. Right? So I use a 209 primer. You know, a, a starter pistol, basically. And when she was good and revved up and chasing that pigeon and she had chased it 80 yards, I'd pop around off and just watch her body language. And sure enough, she didn't care. And then Mm. as I did it, I got closer and closer and closer. But this was a different, like the same method I would give anybody, retriever training or upland bird training, you're using their retrieve drive to overcome fear. So, for instance, your example of we're patterning, a turkey gun and he's just chilling in the backyard and all of a sudden he's just relaxing and bang a loud noise cracks off and he's unexpected right he's not expecting it shit his pants and hauled ass you know five miles away to a garage so basically what you want to do is introduce the excitement of retrieving introduce what he knows already does he love to retrieve oh yeah okay yeah <laughs> does he like birds yeah oh yeah <laughs> I mean, he he actually chases the v's of the geese that fly over the house excellent so yeah. i'm gonna use like the next duck you kill i'm gonna take that duck it, wanton waste don't even call me but you're gonna use that duck next duck you kill and that's gonna be your training bird and you're going to rev him up and play fun bumpers with him with that bird in your yard. You know, get him level 10, so excited he's going to spin in circles and go nuts. And then have your oldest son 
take a twenty two rifle or a twenty two blank pistol or whatever that you have available, but it's got to be a low, 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 low caliber. And even a rifle is perfect because it, the bullet comes out of the long barrel and it's even softer than a two hundred nine primer. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So he's going to shoot safely in a safe direction, but you are 150 yards away. You're far away from that gun. And he, okay. it's basically just going to sound like a little pop to the dog. And he's going to mm-hmm. be mid-run to the bird. Okay. Okay? So he's breathing heavy. He's jacked up, ready to pounce on this thing. He's not thinking about anything but that bird. And all of a sudden, he's going to hear pop. And nothing's going to happen. He's going to pick that bird up and bring it back. And then you're going to move your son into 125. Do it again. And then 100 and do it again. And maybe he gets a little weird at 100. Have him back up to 125 and do like five in a row and end the session. Because he's already nervous about it, I'm not going to move fast. Okay. Okay? So with Grace, the short hair that I had, I stayed at that stage where normally, like most dogs, if, if they love playing fun bumpers and stuff, I can move very quickly through this process. But with a dog who's already nervous and sensitive, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to be overly cautious to make sure that that dog is not thinking about what that sound was. They're only going to be thinking about the bird or the bumper. And then all of a sudden, he's going to be able to shoot whatever caliber that low, low, low caliber gun is within 20 yards of you. And then you're going to up the caliber and start back at 125. Okay. And then, like you said, if he sees a shotgun, he gets nervous. Well, what I would do is I would have an unloaded, open and safe shotgun Mm -hmm. near him while he's eating, near him while he's running around going potty in the morning, near him, you know, like, in instances where he's not nervous, he's ultra confident, have one in the corner near his crate or, you know, just around. So he doesn't see it in an instance where he can be afraid. He already has the guts to to do things, right, like to play ball or to eat his food. And then all of a sudden there's a shotgun just leaning up against the wall right near where he eats. Yeah. Excuse me. So you're just going to. This is not a lost cause. Okay, good. <laughs> this is a few instances where he was not ready for it, and it spooked him. Mm-hmm. This isn't like if he can, if you can get him to basically equate the fun of retrieving with the sound and the sight of that gun, then you're going to win. Okay. If you do it too quick, you might still lose. But I think this is not a lost cause by any means. If he had no retrieve drive, I'd probably tell you it might be a lost cause. But the fact that he loves to retrieve, I think you're going to yeah. be able to save it. Awesome. So, sorry, that was a good tangent. I mean, that's really good for people to learn because I do get that a lot. That do- My dog's gun shy. What do I do? And it's like they may not truly be gun shy. And if you are patient with the dog, you can a lot of times bring them out mm-hmm. of it. So that's cool. So what's his name? Yeah. Ollie. <laughs> Ollie? Yeah. yeah, Ollie. Yeah. I like that name. I've trained a few Ollies. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, one of the one of the best dogs I've ever ever had owned. I mean, just I, I can't I can't I didn't even expect it out of him. I really didn't. That's cool. That's cool. Golden Retriever's a great breed, man. Kevin yeah. owns a golden retriever and 
actually has a litter of them right now and nice. and they just they really are great family members they you know if you get them from field bread lines they love to hunt and they're, they're a good dog yeah they're, that's it's it's funny man because like i was completely against it the entire time and he's really starting he's been growing on me so it's <laughs> i wanted i wanted a chesapeake so bad wow I, I, I i've hunted over some of the some of those dogs that my buddy has they're called chessy and they're fabulous and they just they have like you said that drive that excitement they that that's that's them it's amazing and the strong swimmers and just just powerful dogs i just always like i they was always drawn to that breed yeah they're really cool i've trained several of them and, and they are they, i know that <laughs> what's that i said they're rockheads for sure but uh they can they, be they, they yeah, can be yeah. They're, uh, but they're a really neat breed. They're beautiful, and uh, when you got a good one, you definitely have a good one. Yeah. Um. So, do you remember the, like, have you hunted over dogs before? I'd assume so, right? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So, but never your own. Um, n- never one of my own. No, no. It was always my dad. It was always my family's dog. My dad's dog. Um my you know cousins friends dogs like i've never actually hunted over one of my own no cool now your dad's dogs were those all the short hairs or did he dabble into the waterfowl or he had he had we ended up getting a lab for that and nice, his last name, dj yeah black lab and um again retrieved great dog um listened very well um but yeah he ne- i mean it was it was never it was never professionally trained it That's was all right yeah it was how my it was how my dad did Right. It was like how his dad did, you know, like it was, and, and they, and the dogs that those guys trained, I mean, how they did things and watching them with, you know, bags of feathers and things like that, you know, and it worked. And then the, the German short hairs were, that's another one of my favorite, another one of the dogs I really like a lot. But uh, we had one called Chipper and that dog would never come back. If you shot a gun, he'd bring you something. It didn't matter what <laughs> it was. And it might be it, a squirrel from three miles away. It, 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 but I'm going to tell you a story. This, <laughs> so they, we were hunting, and pheasant went up, and they they, they missed it clean. And, and that dog took off, and he's looking, and he's running, and he's looking. And right, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know, maybe four or 500 yards where we parked, there's a dead one on the road. That dog goes and gets that dead, that dead pheasant off the road, brings it back. And it's rotten, man. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, my God. Uh, it was... <laughs> That's awesome. Was, yeah, but it was just a just an amazing dog. I'll never forget him. Big, strong male. It was just a great, absolutely great dog to hunt with. No. And uh, yeah, funny, funny story, man. It was, it was that's that's one thing I remember from him. That's cool. Now Pennsylvania, they stock pheasant like New York does, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. And uh, cool. yeah, it, it, it gets hit pretty heavy out here, you know, unless you got a couple private spots you can get into. But uh, the pheasant, and then usually the deer hunters, they, 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 the first opening day of pheasants, is they get hit hard. And then after that, it's, you know, the guys that actually like doing it. It's not just everybody out pheasant hunting. Sure. That's uh, kind of like how we are. We're really fortunate. Where we grew up is uh, there's a state wildlife, like WMA, and they stock it every year. And, and that's one of my favorite things to do with the dogs because you can go for an hour or you can go for three hours, but... You know, it's you can talk. It's kind of like duck hunting. Yeah. You can talk. You can hang out. You don't have to. It's a social activity too. Yeah, yeah. And the dogs love it. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Am oh, I yeah. jealous of the Dakotas where you can hunt wild ones? Of course. 
but I'm very thankful to New York State, and I hope someone hears me say this, that I hope they don't take our pheasant program away. Yeah. Are they, are they in talks about doing that? Well, of course there are. Oh, yeah. I know they, they're, they're Pennsylvania's talking about a pheasant stamp or something that they have to, that they want to impl- like add, uh, add on to our hunting licenses. Truthfully, I wouldn't even care. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I agree. I mean, if it helps fund the program that keeps them, you know, keeps the birds stocked and things like that, then that's, I'm behind it, you know. I am too. I mean, what a great way to get young people into it, get them to watch dog work. Um, I, I You know, if they asked me for 10 or 20 bucks to pheasant hunt, I could care less. Yeah. Just don't take it away. Yeah, yeah just don't. No, I agree with that. So, anyways, um so you were saying majority are you mainly a, a goose hunter or do you what what do you do what is your favorite if you could hunt one thing what would it be well that's it's got to be geese man i mean that 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 would be my that'd be my number one favorite thing um ducks second and then uh turkeys i love hunting turkeys too in the spring man nothing like a nothing like getting on a gobbler i have one of my another one of my things i love doing so that's really cool do you travel? Do you have any places you like to go outside of Pennsylvania? So you know what? I've actually the only other state I've hunted in is uh, is Maryland. I hunted some snow geese out there, but I've never really traveled much hunting. I've always done a majority of my stuff around here. Um, you know, growing up on farms, you know everybody, so it was never really you know a complicated to find spots. So it was you know I've always wanted to go on trips. I've like one of my bucket list hunts is to get down to. Um, arkansas or louisiana and hunt some timber like i've always wanted to hunt flooded timber i've never had a chance to do it and uh that's my buck that's one of my bucket list hunts for sure yeah you gotta do it yeah yeah i know i I, it looks absolutely amazing and that's uh, i definitely want to have that happen here sooner than later (laughs) how old is your oldest son uh he's 12 all right so i'm gonna go with when he's like 14 you can get him a christmas gift to go to arkansas and you can get your bucket list and be like, yeah, no, it's a father father son thing. You know, we got to do it. We got to bond. That's right. <laughs> I, I like the way you think. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm a, <laughs> I'm wheeling and dealing all the time. Yeah, I love. It. <laughs> but you got to do it. Kevin and I went to Arkansas a few years ago, and unfortunately, the weather wasn't permitting, and the ducks weren't really like where we went with a buddy. We couldn't hunt the flooded timber; it just wasn't in the cards. And uh, I were. You know, it's not a regret. Like, we had to do what we had to do, but... Um, still on the list. It's still on our list as well. Like, we hunted uh, pit blinds and rice fields, and I, I definitely want to get down there and do a flooded timber hunt. You just see everybody leaning up against a tree with their dog, and, man, that would be sick. Just the yeah. ducks coming through the, the canopy, and it looks incredible. Yeah, exactly. Everything echoing over the water one of these days. Yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, that's definitely going to happen for me soon here, so. Very cool. Now, all right, we're going to, I got a question for you. You wanted to bring up, this is your annual photo, well, your second annual? Second annual. Second <laughs> yeah. annual photo contest for the holidays, and we're going to help you through our podcast announce your contest. So if you could tell everybody who listens about your contest and how they can win some coffee. All right. Yeah, definitely. So um, last year we did a Christmas photo contest, and we basically had two categories, the funny and, like, the Christmas feels is what, how we called it. And it incorporated the duck blind logo, 
cup of coffee into a Christmas photo. And we had people send them to us, email, um, Facebook, and Instagram. And on my birthday, December 20th, we, we've sat around and we look at all the photos we get and we pick the ones that we like and we vote on it. And the winners of the two categories gets, get a, gets a pound of each of our roasts. So we'll give, we're giving away four pounds of coffee total to the, the pictures that we picked and, uh, feature. And we, you know, we'll put you all over social media as the winner of that and, uh, send you hopefully get it in time for Christmas and have some Christmas coffee. That's really so. cool. I also yeah. saw that you do like a duck or a goose band or duck band. Yes, yes, we do. So that's that that's something that we were going to run in the summer in the off seasons and ended up being so popular that we just it's going to be something that happens all the time now. So if you do find a band in your bag of coffee, um, you get a free bag of coffee with your next order. You just have to post a picture or send me a picture with you in the band so that I can put it on social media. And um, whenever you place another order, we'll send you whatever bag of coffee you want for free. That's awesome, dude. Well, yeah. it's been really neat watching your business grow. It's been really neat learning about the coffee industry and how you, you know, you roast and, you know, bringing that thing that we all truly enjoy in the duck blind. I mean... If I have to bring one thing, if someone told me, besides a gun and shells, what do you want to bring? It's like a freaking hot cup of coffee. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, so to, to be the, the coffee brand for our industry, thank you for doing it. I mean, it, it's super cool. So I would give, you know, a big thumbs up, and I hope that our listeners support you and follow you. And, you know, what a great stocking stuffer for their husband, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. Whoever you're listening to, if you want to grab a bag, tell them where to find you and order from. All right. So it's uh, the website is www.duckblind.online. All right. Say it one more time. www.duckblind.online. Dot online. You got it. Very good. So they can order right there? Right there. Beautiful. All right. And you have three different blends, correct? Yeah. So I have a dark, a light, and a decaf. Who drinks decaf? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's funny you say that, man. Um, Western Pennsylvania likes their decaf. It's, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know why, but they do. Um, we were on the other side of the state for a couple outdoor shows in and, and Maryland, and nobody, I mean, I had like maybe a handful, five, six people asking for decaf. But around here, that's what they want. Huh. I don't know why. It's. You have decaf? You have decaf? Yeah, it, it's 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 wild. <laughs> we got heart problems. Get out of here! I need to yeah, stay awake. Exactly. We don't need that. You, you should... <laughs> I need full test. Yeah, it's natural selection, right? <laughs> That's right. Go take a nap. I'm working. That's right. <laughs> Good deal, man. Well, Dennis, it was a true pleasure to chat with you, and I hope that the tip with your dog helps. You know, you can send me a phone, you know shoot me a phone call or anything like as you're doing this process. And maybe even check back in with us and let us know how it's going. And yeah. I'd also like to maybe do this again with you after the duck season and goose season and hear how you did. So, Yeah, that'd be great. If you could sign us out with where people can follow you. I mean, we told them where we can order, but how do they find you on social media? Yeah. So Facebook, we're on Duck Blind Coffee Company. And um, same with Instagram. Type, type it in the search engine and we'll, we should pop right up. You have our logos on there and 
Hit the like button, hit the follow button. <laughs> All right, awesome, man. Hey, and to add to your contest, we're going to throw in uh, a Lone Duck hat for the winners of your contest as well. So we want to support you and have our followers and, and listeners go and, and join that contest and order some stuff from you. So we're going to throw in a Lone Duck hat along with it. Just spruce oh. it up in the holiday spirit. I'm feeling jolly. <laughs> Sounds wonderful, man. I appreciate it. Awesome, Dennis. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. Thank you. No, thank you guys both. I really appreciate it, and thanks for the tips. It's it, that's definitely going to be it's going to be a work in progress. So, absolutely. Well, it's all about the process. So, thanks again, and uh, happy Thanksgiving, and happy yeah, hunting. Yeah. yeah, you guys too, man. Be safe. Thank you. Hey, do me a solid. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you do it before September of 2023, you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs and have a great time. But jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.